Welcome to the European Treble, bringing you the latest football news from across the continent with Linus Harrington, Ben Johnston and myself, Jasper Shiner. Coming up in today's show, Derby Day Delirium as historic Schalke comeback at the Westfalen Stadion heaps more pressure on Peter Bosch. Mortal after all, defeat for Bayern ends Heinke's unbeaten run and blows Bundesliga title race wide open. Controversy at the Mestire in the top of the table clash leads to calls for goal line technology in La Liga. Another comeback for Sevilla despite manager Eduardo Barrizzo's absence. Moments of madness for Roma captain Daniele De Rossi cost his side two points in Serie A title race. Vincenzo Montella shown the exit door after another disappointing result for Milan. Catastrophe for Killian, PSG win despite wasteful Mbappe on his return to Monaco. New boys continue to climb as another win for Amiens extends their unbeaten run to six. Plus reaction to match day five in the Champions and Europa League. All this and more over the next 45 minutes. Welcome back to the European Treble. I'm joined by Linus. Ben, you're out. And unfortunately, there's no Ben this week because he's off doing northern things. Uh, so we'll just jump straight into it. Linus, do you want to take us away? Uh, yes, yeah, so we've gone from last week being quite a boring week in the Bundesliga to absolute madness this week. Of course, Dortmund-Schalke, what a match that was. 4-4, uh, Dortmund leading 4-0 after 25 minutes. Goals from Aubameyang, an own goal from Stambouli, Mario Goetze and Rafael Guerrero. Leading Dortmund to send out that brilliant uh, top rack tweet, <laughs> the uh, the sipping the tea, that came back to bite them. Sixty um, first minute, Bergstaller gets one, and from then on, it just all went wrong for them. Ended up drawing four four. Now though, in the ninety fourth minute, yeah, it's a historic historic comeback for Schalke, and the, you couldn't ask for a more entertaining derby game. To be honest, uh, no, to be four nil up after twenty five minutes and bottle it in such fashionable style. I mean, it was what a game. I mean, to, to watch from a, a third person's perspective as a neutral, it was quite something. Yeah, and it sort of it highlights how bad things have gone for Dortmund. They haven't won a league game now since September. Aubameyang sent off. His season has been marred by discipline issues on and off the pitch. His first goal, the controversy surrounding him in that, clear handball. But the Bundesliga have brought in um, video assistant refereeing. It decided not to intervene in this case. So it raises a lot of issues over technology in the game, but Schalke won't care at the end of the day. Nowadays, I don't know if you saw the uh, the brilliant description of his goal. He called himself Golden Head, which is a, a bold statement to make. It's not the first time that Naldo scored a last-minute winner in Dortmund either. As far as I know, he did it for, for Wolfsburg yeah, a couple of seasons years ago. ago yeah, three years ago, yeah. It was Klopp's last season. It was one of the defining games into how bad things had gotten for Klopp then and now how bad things have gotten for Dortmund this season under Peter Bosch. Yeah, pressure really heaping onto him now. Um, A string of poor results. He hasn't got the backing of the board, it seems, at the moment. And they're kind of really looking for him to kind of turn the ship around. Uh, He's fairly positive that he is the man to do that. But um, I'm not particularly sure... As I said last week, I'm not sure where Dortmund go from here. Uh, no, um, CEO Watts uh, after the game said there's clear clear expectations um, for Peter that him and his staff will leave no stone unturned and put everything to rest and qualifying for the Champions League is paramount. At the moment, they sit fifth on 21 points. They are three behind fourth place, Munchen Gladbach and Schalke. Um, the Champions League does not look promising at the moment for them. And obviously, this coming weekend, they've got a game against Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, what a game that's going to be. Fifth place, sixth. Uh, Leverkusen improving massively. Yeah, they the won 1-0 at the weekend. 
Yep, so they're on a good run of form, unbeaten in the last five. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be a big, big game. Whereas Dortmund go into the game winless, like I said, winless since September. Last five games, draw, loss, 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 draw. This not good reading for them. In fact, if results go a certain way, Dortmund could be as low as 10th at the start of uh, match day 15. So... Quite a fall from grace. An awful fall from grace. I said this is a side that a month and a half ago were one point clear at the top. And now scoring are, goals for fun as and well. And scoring goals for fun. And now they're falling and falling and falling out the Champions League, which we'll get to a bit more later on. But yeah, it's an awful, awful patch for them. The fans turning on the club every week. And yeah, it's hard to see where the next step is for them. Like I say against Leverkusen next, it's a tough, tough match. And recovery doesn't seem there. But moving on from one former giant to one real giant of the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich. Superman does bleed. Um, 2-1 defeat away to Mönchengladbach. Um, Very interesting game as well. A game which Bayern dominated. Absolutely. But possession isn't everything. No, it was uh, two shots on target for Mönchengladbach. Two goals. Uh, Thorgan Hazard's penalty and uh, Matthias Ginter. Um, former Dortmund man yes former Dortmund man and they went in at half time two up uh, Bayern got one back through Arturo Vidal but too little too late and it's blowing the title race wide open in the Bundesliga so, uh, Bayern now sitting on 29 points Gladbach their win takes them to 24 points Schalke also on 24 points and Leipzig are there on 26 points so that's just five points between the top four it's the uh, in terms of the, taking the top four teams in each league, it is the closely, most closely contested league in Europe. Um, so that's quite, considering everyone calls it a dead league and that Bayern dominate it, it's competitive this year. Yeah, um, we mentioned last week, or I remember you mentioning last week, you said that at this time next week, we'll be sat there saying either the title race is, is on or it's very much over. And obviously we're sitting here saying it's very much on because that Bayern Munich loss has really thrown it wide open and allowed the three or four teams behind to really make ground. Um, obviously Dortmund, with their draw, will we'll be looking at those two points that they dropped and saying, you know, if we'd won that game, we'd be sat there with Leipzig and, and Schalke and we'd be really chasing hard. Yeah, yeah. if they won that game, you'd say that that'd be Schalke down to 23 and Dortmund up on 23 as well. So that'd be just six points between five teams, as it is Dortmund now eight points behind and falling are looking very much like they're out of the title race. Oh. And it's very much how how well can they recover from here. Yeah. Whereas it, instead of, obviously, a month ago, they were looking as, you know, the title favourites. Yeah, they went into the game against Bayern Munich a few weeks ago as the game that could have been deciding a title race. Um, and we could, well, you could say in terms of Dortmund and Munich, it has. They lost that game to Munich and now Dortmund are out of the title race completely. Um but yeah, the the loss marks the first defeat since Jupp Heynckes has taken control, and it also marked his first uh, defeat in thirty games across both his spells at the club. So quite the achievement for Mönchengladbach to get uh, a win there against the Giants of Bayern Munich. I think we've got to not pass up the topic of Heynckes as well because he has done a phenomenal job. Oh yeah, since when, he's uh, come in. Yeah, and Ancelotti, they started the season poorly. They like I said, well, galvanised the team. They, they weren't top of the league when he left, and now they are. They are still top. 
Like you can't take away despite losing to Gladbach, they are still there. They are still three points clear. They could still lose another game and stay top. So it's not to say that one loss and Bayern Munich are suddenly in catastrophe all over again, um, but it is a step in making the league more competitive, uh, which is good to see because it's been so dominated for so long by just Munich. At the other end, though, Cologne defeat again. There's nothing special there apart from the debut of Jan Bisek. Uh, the centre-back started in their 2-0 loss to Hertha Berlin, making him the second youngest Bundesliga player of all time. Only the second 16-year-old to play the first was... Nuri Sahin? Yes, Nuri Sahin. Uh, 2005. Um, so Bissek, 16 years old, 362 days, so just gets in there at 16. <laughs> um, yeah, and Sahin was 16 years old and 335 Days. However, I don't think a 16-year-old centre-half is going to change their season. No, although <laughs> it does say a lot about them when he was probably the best of the three centre-backs that played. Yes. So things really seem to be heating up in the Bundesliga um, at the top. The bottom, not so much, unfortunately, for Cologne fans. But we'll see where we are this time next week. You never know, it could all be changing all over again. In Liga, the main talking point would be that Jordi Alba scored a late equaliser and Lionel Messi had a goal controversially ruled out as Barcelona drew 1-1 against Valencia in Mestalla on Sunday at the top of the table clash. Um, the fullback marked his 200th start for the club by meeting Messi's cross to volley past Neto as Ernesto Valverde's side maintained their four-point cushion at the top of the Liga. Uh, the result means that both teams, both Valencia and Barcelona, preserve their unbeaten record in La Liga this season. But only incident of note in the KG opening 45 minutes will lead to the Spanish Football Federation questioning the continued absence of goal line technology after Messi's goal was ruled out. Yeah, um, it's shocking that in a, a world of football dominated by money, they can't afford something like goal line technology, which has been implemented in so many other leagues, the Bundesliga, the English Premier League. It's used and, in both Champions League and Europa League now yeah, as well. And it works to, to great effect. It's it's shocking that, especially in a, a game this crucial, that it's decided by such a basic decision now in modern football. In, in in any other league, that would that would have been given, and Barca would have potentially put the title race to bed. But as it is, they've still got that pressure on them because of poor refereeing. Yeah, um, a league and officials have announced that video referees are expected to be introduced into the top tier of Spanish football uh, by 2018. So that's something that's already, as you mentioned, used in the Bundesliga at the moment um, with controversy. So they're not actually looking at implementing goal line technology. They're just looking at bringing in video referees. Um, Javier Tebas, the La Liga president, said, we've always defended the use of technology in, the, in football. And in this case, we believe that video referees is the most advanced option Um Back in 2016, he, he also claimed that goal line technology was too expensive to implement in a league which has got vast TV coverage and TV deals with both Sky and obviously television companies based within Spain. Yeah, it has, it has the highest grossing match in world football in El Clasico. Um, and even other players are getting involved. Uh, former striker uh, Gary Lineker tweeting that it's mad they don't have goal line technology and in La Liga. I think they'll be re revisiting the debate after Messi's goal was ruled not to have crossed the line when it clearly did. I think the referee knew he'd made a mistake halfway through the second half as well. Um, 
and it was more about how he could make up for that during the match. It's, it's one of those things where he really, really should have got the decision correct. Jordi Alba claimed that he saw from the halfway line that he had crossed the goal line. Yeah, so. it's what it, you see the pictures of it. It's so blatantly obvious. It rivals ones like uh, Lampard in the World Cup, which is for everyone in the stadium. It's so clearly in, apart from the one guy that has to get it right. So yeah, I do. I mean, as as Gary Lineker has claimed, I do think that the the Liga will be revisiting that case and they will be implementing goal line technology because it, there's just no argument against yeah. it. And it's a shame because it, it ruins an, another good story in that. It's Jordi Alba, his 200th game for Barcelona since leaving Valencia and he gets the equaliser in front of the Valencia fans. And in the what last a goal minute. as well. Brilliant yeah. volley. And it could potentially ruin Valencia's title challenge. That should be the story. But here we are talking about goal line technology. Again. Yeah. Um, so moving forward, uh, Madrid 3, Malaga 2. Uh, Ronaldo scored a late winner as Madrid moved seven points behind the Liga leaders Barcelona with an unconvincing win over the Malaga team who have struggled so far this year. Um, Ronaldo tucked away a rebound after a 76th minute penalty had been saved by the goalkeeper Roberto Jimenez. Real twice threw away a lead as the visit- visitors cancelled out first half goals from Karim Benzema and Casemiro. Zidane's side dropped to fourth on goal difference after Atletico Madrid beat Levante 5-0. Uh, so Ronaldo's only scored two goals in the Liga this season and it's becoming obviously a very blatant issue that for Madrid that they're, they're focusing very much on the fact that Ronaldo isn't scoring goals. Well, that's what you do when you've got a man of that quality. Once he stops performing, he's going to be the focus, unfortunately, for for him. I mean, a player of his quality should be doing best than he is, but you're also not going to drop him, are you? Are you going to be a brave man and say, oh, I'm not putting Cristiano Ronaldo in my team? No, I don't think that's what it is, but... Uh, it seems to me like Real Madrid have have kind of shifted their focus away from winning games, um, and winning games for them isn't important, but scoring goals is. And it's it, the be all and end all is that they should be trying to win games, whether that's Ronaldo scoring the goals or or whoever. Yeah. Um, Terry Gibson, who's a Sky Sports football Spanish football expert, uh, said that they're over egging the fact that they're guilty of not scoring goals, and they should have done this uh, early in the season, where they're they're actually now shooting at every opportunity. Uh, because they're very conscious of the fact they're not scoring and Ronaldo is the biggest culprit. So he's shooting at every opportunity because he knows he's not scoring goals and that's very much ruining the build-up play or, or the actual style of football that Madrid are playing. Yeah, and it's um, it ties into what we were talking about last week with Barcelona. Barcelona have ditched that Barca style of play and focused on winning games. Madrid are still in that zone of we have to be Madrid, we have to smash in the goals, we have to be the Galacticos, yeah, we think- have to be that big impressive force and it's costing them I think it was very evident this week as well for Barcelona I know you mentioned Valverde um, they played with Messi in a much deeper role uh, he's almost playing alongside Paulinho with no wingers with just Suarez as the focal point up front um, so he has adapted his side you know his side and his tactics whereas Zidane seems very reluctant to change how they're playing and it's and it seems to be that they're focusing too much on getting Ronaldo to score yeah, if you think about Ronaldo, when it really should be about Madrid and about Madrid winning games and competing for the titles. Yeah, a, and that's a if they can't get that sorted, I'm not going to sit here. They're not going to get a Champions League spot overall in the league because that's a bold claim to make. But actually, within the Champions League itself, you don't see them defending that crown. Yeah. Um, so one thing that will help, hopefully, is that Real Madrid have announced that Gareth Bale will play for the first time in two months on Tuesday. Um, Bale's been out with a calf injury before uh, before suffering a thigh problem. He will feature against third-tier Fuen, Fuenel 
Brada in the Copa del Rey. The Wales forward, who's 28, has not played since Rail's 3-1 Champions League win at Borussia Dortmund on the 26th of September. So Bale coming back from Madrid is a big, big plus. Yeah, he's a he's a top player as much as, as an Arsenal fan. It hates me to say that about an ex-Spurs man. But, you know, he's a top player and they've missed his quality. I know there's issues as to whether him and Ronaldo can work together. I I don't build it, like don't buy into that hype, but no, they, they've missed a, a player of his quality. And whilst players like Isco came in and did well, Bale's undeniable natural gift is to be one of the best players in the world. And not having that in your side is is going to be detrimental. So getting him back is a, at least a step in the right direction for Zidane and Madrid. Cool. So I mentioned that Madrid are now down to fourth position in the league on 27 points, tied with Atletico, uh, below them just on goal difference. Atletico seem to have found a bit of form again under Simeone. Um, he's, you know, a Griezmann's backfiring on all cylinders. So Griezmann and Kevin Gamero both scored twice for Atletico after Roberto Suarez Pierre own goal to give to give Simeone's side their biggest win of the season so far. Uh, he seems to have decided that to get the best out of Griezmann, he has to play deeper and get players around him, whether that's Carrasco on the wing or Koke next to him, uh, plus a forward, which in this case was uh, not Griezmann, sorry, Gamero. Um, he's occupied the centre half and it allows Griezmann to kind of find those small pockets in behind the striker um, and we're getting the best out of him finally this season after again a tough start to the year Again yeah it's, a, it's the idea of you, when you have a top quality player he needs to be performing and uh, Simeone much like Valverde has decided my star player is going to drop deeper and become sort of the one that pl- they have the striker and he'll play off that and it, it worked for Messi it's worked for Griezmann, that's now uh, three goals in two games after his incredible goal in the Champions League. Um, so yeah, it's a step, again, step in the right direction for Atletico. Griezmann back amongst the goals and it, a confidence is going to be back in that side. And that's that's one of the biggest things in football. If you haven't got that confidence, you're not going to perform and getting goals is one way to get that confidence back. So our next story is it was announced that severe coach Eduardo Barrizzo would have surgery after being diagnosed with prostate cancer earlier in the month. Uh, that surgery is due to go ahead this week. The 48-year-old's condition was made public after his side came from three goals down to draw 3-3 with Liverpool in the Champions League last week. Uh, Sevilla say Barrizzo's return to the La Liga side's dugout will depend on his recovery after the operation. Um, assistant manager Ernesto Marcucci is taking charge in the meantime and his first game was away at Villarreal uh, and Sevilla fought back again from, from two goals down to win 3-2. Uh, goals from Cedric Bakumbu and Carlos Baca put the yellow submarine ahead after 53 minutes, but a quick response from v- Sevilla had them level just five minutes later after goals from Clement Longolet Franco- and Franco Vasquez uh, before Ever Benega converted from the penalty spot. Uh, Victor Ruiz was sent off after fouling Gabriel Mercado. So a, a very topsy-turvy game, two-goal lead, swings back round with very, very quickly with Sevilla coming back and showing that kind of grit and determination um, and seemingly not missing the manager at the moment. Yeah, so things very emotional around the club at the moment. Uh, we both wish our best um, to Barizzo in his recovery and his treatment. Um, but yeah, it's two incredible comebacks in the space of, what, five days against Liverpool and now against Villarreal. And yeah, it shows that they're not letting all this off-the-field story and all this news around the manager get the better of them because it could very easily be they get distracted by that, but they seem to be doing the opposite. Yeah, and a very important result. It was 5th v 6th. Sevilla now cementing that 5th position with a 4-point gap ahead of Villarreal and very much keeping in touch with the leaders. Uh, You mentioned that Madrid, their main focus will be to stay 
now that the, the, it's looking like the title might be going for them, their main focus will be getting into the Champions League and winning that Champions League this year. Uh, Sevilla are very, very close behind and a slip up from Madrid will allow them to take that last Champions League spot and that could well be uh, a, a featuring storyline throughout the rest of the year is, is are Madrid going to be able to keep pace with the leaders and are Sevilla Villarreal going to be able to pressure Madrid enough to take that final spot away from them? CBR action and the big talking point is Daniele De Rossi's stupid red card in Roma's 1-1 draw with Genoa. One of the most experienced players of the league gets himself in a petty fight with forward Gianluca Lapadula in the 69th minute. Roma were leading 1-0 at the time. Uh, video assistant refereeing caught the incident, sent De Rossi straight off. Lapadula got up from the slap, converted from the spot and the game ended 1-1. It ends a 12-game away winning streak for Roma. It was a league record, and that has now come to an end because their captain decides to do something incredibly stupid. Uh, Eusebio De Francesco has branded the red card unacceptable and said Dorsey should have known better given his experience and that technology was always going to catch him. What, what was going through his head? Um, I'm not quite sure. It's quite astounding that a player of his experience and his role within that Roma team has gone and done that. It's just a moment of madness. He's kind of seen the red mist and basically lost his team two points, and vital two points in the title race. Yeah, Dorsey, after the game, has issued an apology to the fans. He says that uh, there's absolutely no excuse. We just got into a tussle. I put my hand forward to block him and the footage is completely ugly. So even he knows that it was beyond stupid. And yet, like you said, it's cost Roma two points in the title race. They are now on 31 points and drawing, whilst the three teams above them all won. Uh, Napoli beat Udinese 1-0 away. Juventus uh, 3-0 home win against Crotone. And Inter 3-1 win away to Caligiuri. So Roma now seemingly falling behind the pace, whilst the three above them pull away and especially with Juventus seem to be back in full swing. Their game against Crotone, like I said, 3-0 win, absolutely bossed. We talked about Bayern Munich bossing earlier, and Juventus 81% possession is up there. I think it's in the top 10 for all-time league possession, and if they're getting back into full force, that's worrying for the rest of the league. Uh, It's worrying, but I think that this year what's... What's quite refreshing in Serie A we touched on recently is the league is far, far, far more competitive, and it's really it's been my go-to league in terms of of you know keeping track of because there's so much going on. There's Napoli's kind of the, the way they're play the, the way they're playing the football that they're playing is is, is it almost sucks you in because it's that exciting and interesting. Uh, Inter Milan's revival is a great story. Um, I know that you're you're an Inter Milan yeah, fan. I, I do quite like Inter Milan. Like I said, they'll always be my Italian team. Uh, so as I said last week, happy to see them back up there. Uh, they won three one away. Icardi getting a brace, uh, proving again why he's one of the top strikers in the league. Uh, Brozovic got the other goal. He's quite an underappreciated player, I feel, in the league. Um, he gets he gets sort of overshadowed by the rest of his team, but he's up there for um, one of the best midfielders in that league. I think uh, it's, I think it's, it's not necessarily he's one of the best midfielders. It's, it's the fact that he contributes a lot to that team in terms of goals and assists from midfield, and that is invaluable for any team at any level. To have goals coming from not just your strikers, but from elsewhere in the team. 
Yeah, he's got that um, incredible partnership next to João Mario, which is working wonders for Inter Milan, and leaves them just uh, two points off Napoli. They're sitting second. Uh, Napoli on 38, Inter Milan on 36, Juventus on 34. The title race uh, is going to be very, very interesting in the rest of the season. But from one Milan to the other... To my Milan. To your Milan, yes. Uh, AC Milan have sacked uh, Vincenzo Montella after uh, the 0-0 draw at home to Torino. Uh, They are currently sitting in 7th on just 20 points, 18 off the uh, league leaders Napoli, 11 off the Champions League spots. Gennaro Gattuso has been put in charge. Uh, Good to see him getting into some management. Yeah, um, I think an interesting selection to be interim manager but probably a good one he's AC Milan through and through he knows the team he's been managing at youth level so he knows the young players uh, and he's someone that I think a lot of the players in the squad can look up to with a lot of respect and kind of as that authoritative figure. The only uh, concern I have with it is that we thought this when Inzaghi was put yeah. uh, in charge and t- it did not work for him yeah, that's fired. not to say because he's obviously going to be like that but that risk of you just go for someone who's a club legend doesn't mean they're going to be um, a good manager although I would say I would not like to be managed by Gattuso after a loss um, I don't think they'll put him in permanent charge I, I think that with the spending they've made over the summer and with the new managers at that club that they're going to look to recruit a big name and they'll be after the Ancelotti's and that kind of that higher echelon of manager the problem being that I don't think AC Milan is a particularly attractive job to the managerial elite anymore because it is so cutthroat and it seems to be that the you know, it's, it's almost a revolving door at Milan at the moment. They can't seem to settle on one person and they really need to find someone that they can give time to with that squad to really develop them and, and hopefully do what Inter have done this year, which is kind of build that revival. Yeah, the only way you'd see them getting an elite manager if it's, if it's one that's not already in a job. And the only one that comes off the top of my head is Ancelotti, but he's been there, done that. He's probably not going to go back to them. No, for I, can, me- I can see Gattuso probably keeping the job until the winter break. In mid-December, yes, uh, and then they'll use that break to get someone in, give them some time to get to know the squad over the uh, two weeks off, and uh, then go again in January and push, uh, hopefully, for a Europa League title and a European qualification, uh, whether that be Champions League or Europa League, I come think, the end of the year. I think that's the the big incentive for AC is going to be that now that they're definitely not in the title race, it's going to be that Europa League crown because that's their route into the Champions League. Yeah, that's their biggest way of getting into it. It is. Um, I think that this year so far has been a big, big negative for them because obviously, with this, I mentioned last week, the spending they've made and the players they brought in, they probably expected to do more. But it's that, you know, have they brought in too many players and have they bitten off more than they can chew in terms of trying to get these players to play together? Because the squad is definitely there. You look at the players they've got, it's definitely, you know, it should. it's very much underperforming. Um, it's a matter of finding the right manager and giving them the time to implement a philosophy and really kind of build something at that club again. Yeah, I mean, we say that in seventh, that doesn't sound too drastic on on face value, but they're six points off sixth. They're actually closer to 13th place, far off European qualification through the league route. So yeah, the Europa League is going to be their big target uh, come 2018. And uh, um, finally, the Player of the Year awards were uh, announced for Serie A last night. Gianluigi Buffon picks up Player of the Year. Right call? Um, I think it's a nice call to give him the award. Uh, obviously, it's his final season at Juventus. He's missed out on the World Cup. Uh, it seems to me that they've gone 
the man's a legend, let's give it to him in his final season. I wouldn't say that for me he's been the outstanding player in that division. No, um, for I me, I'm leaning more, you lean more towards someone like a Dries Mertens or Gonzalo Higuain. I, precisely. Um, I mean, Paolo Dybala, yeah. Dries Mertens. Imagine Golan. Yeah, those are the kind of players you'd be looking at in terms of their contribution and what they've done at their teams throughout the course of the year. However, you would say, obviously, that Buffon's performances in Champions League have, were exemplary. And they were. They were very, very good. And it's testimony to, even at his age, he's still one of the top keepers in yeah. the league. He's the best keeper. Well, he's one of the top in the world. He's the best keeper in that league. But best keeper and best player? Very different things. He did say at the awards that he is open to an Italian return. He sorted it in joking. He said, even if I was 60, if every other goalkeeper in Italian football went down ill, I would put on the gloves to play for the national side. That's how much I will love my country. He's an absolute legend of the game. Yeah, I don't... I'm not sure player of the year is right, but to be fair, he played for Juventus and they dominated team of the season. Of the 11 players, seven of them uh, were Juventus players, including the likes of Dani Alves and Paolo Dybala. That's unsurprising. Yeah, they absolutely <laughs> dominated Italian footballs and no surprise they sweep up in the awards. Uh, looking ahead, obviously... Uh, we talked about Juventus being so dominant and the big game next week, Napoli-Juventus at Napoli. Big, big title uh, race match. If it's a Napoli victory, that leaves Juventus seven points off the running. If Juventus win, it's down to one. That would be a huge, huge game. And we talked about Cattuso getting into the swing of things. He starts away to Benevento. 14 games, 14 losses. If Milan do not win this one, things are really, really bad. Vive la France, Paris Saint-Germain moved nine points clear at the top of Ligue 1 with a 2-1 victory at reigning champions Monaco on Sunday. Edison Cavani and Neymar from the penalty spot scored the goals for PSG who remained unbeaten in all competitions this season and have dropped only four points in the league after 14 matches. Former Monaco forward Kylian Mbappe spurred numerous chances to make the scoreline wider and a forgettable return to his old club, old club was capped when Jao Moutinho's free kick deflected in off the teenager to make it 2-1. Yeah, um, a disappointing result for Monaco. I said last week that this match would sort of determine the state of uh, the French league. Unfortunately, it looks to be very, very predictable how the rest of this season goes. PSG now nine points clear of Monaco. And it's very unsurprising that they're building that gap um, after the summer spending, obviously purchasing Neymar and uh, I think more, more importantly, buying Kylian Mbappe from title rivals Monaco is made one team weaker and the other team much much stronger and that's why we're seeing this gap between the top teams yeah I said to you um, when we were looking at this preparing for today I said if you took PSG out of out of that league it would be one hell of a title race you have three teams uh, from second to fourth separated by a point and even then you've only got uh, Nantes just a few points behind that it's really really close apart from PSG and it's a real shame that we've gone back to what it was a few seasons ago, where it's it's just going to be dominated by the richest team. Yeah, um, so moving forward, after the game it was announced that Michael Emanalo had returned to elite football as sporting director with the French League champions Monaco, three weeks after quitting as Chelsea's technical director. The Nigerian had stepped down at Stamford Bridge after the win against Manchester United, having apparently first expressed a desire to end his 10-year association with Chelsea over the summer. Emanalo said it's a wonderful opportunity to, and a high-quality project. Monaco had shown great progress for several seasons and he's convinced that the future will just be just as ambitious. Um, 
an interesting appointment. Yeah, um, I think given I not I don't know too much about um, Emiliano myself. I I've seen through uh, Chelsea fans that he's a very um, divisive figure. Some fans were very happy to see him go. Some were disappointed. Some uh, former Chelsea staff were disappointed. Some were happy. So yeah, it's an interesting appointment. It's, it, is that what Monaco need right now? Someone that could possibly bring a bit of instability to the club or possibly some stability. You don't really know what you're getting with him at the moment. Um, yeah, it seems to me like Monaco are trying to make up for the losses they had over the summer in terms of players by recruiting staff who are hopefully going to develop what they would call their project and really kind of push them onto that next level. Yeah, although I think given Monaco's reputation lately of bringing through younger players... Emelon really had a bit of a reputation of doing the exact opposite at Chelsea. He was they became quite famous for sending out all the youngsters on loan, never giving them a chance. So, so I could think we see a, could we see a change? I think the interesting thing is going to be: Are we going to see a change from Monaco in terms of are they going to start doing something similar to Chelsea, where they buy up all these young players and start loaning them out? That could. But that, then are those young players ever going to get a chance at Monaco? That's the that's the issue. I think yeah, they've had such uh, great success lately. Obviously, the big one being Mbappe that. I don't know. It's it's, it's it's interesting, but who knows? It could be it could be the right move. Yep. So moving forward, uh, Nice zero, Lyon five. It was a third successive five nil, five nil a win away from home for Lyon. Uh, it's undefeated in twelve games, uh, and it's also beaten the club record by going six hundred and fifty one minutes without conceding a goal in all competitions. Memphis Depay scored twice against Nice, while Maxwell Cornet and Mariano also netted in an impressive first half. Yeah, they are. They're just scoring for fun. Uh, he said, six hundred and fifty-one minutes without conceding in all competitions. The last team to score against them was Everton. Um, it's a, a sleeping giant has has awoken in France. They've overtaken Monaco. They've jumped up into second on goal difference. So getting all those goals. Their, proves to be worth it. Their forward trio of Memphis Depay, Maxwell Cornet and Nabil Fakir have outperformed the front three of Paris Saint-Germain so far this season. Um, and they've got a very young squad. It's developing. They're playing some brilliant football. I think that Lyon, although they're nine points behind and probably the title race has already decided, which is quite depressing, will be a big force next year. Yeah, and if the, they can keep hold of the players. And we talked about AC Milan earlier. Lyon are what we want. The top teams looking at the Europa League. That is a. They look like they're possibly going to get Champions League through the league anyway. But to, if they get a European crown, that would uh, really, really impress and really add to that revival of the club. Yeah, with the way they're playing, you'd expect to see them in the later stages of European competition this year. Yeah, I think what's impressive with the amount of goals they're scoring is you mentioned obviously Nabil Fakir. He's not an out-and-out striker, and he's sort of playing almost like a centre forward. He's not playing as the focal point of the attack, which is quite interesting to see them scoring so many goals without that main man striker that someone like a Lacazette was for them last season. Yeah, they have a very interesting front three, which, you know, they all interchange. They've got Depay and Cornet who play from wide, but also have the ability to play in that striker position and have done for club and country. And, you know, it, it's very, it's a great team to watch, similar to Napoli and how that they're very free-flowing in the forward areas. Um, I mean, the next big story in the league, you've got to move on to Amiens. So they continued their climb up league and table with a 2-0 victory at bottom club Mets on Saturday. Musa Kanate scored his fifth goal since his summer arrival to give the visitors a 29th-minute lead, and Bangoni Zungu struck after 65 minutes to give Amiens some breathing space. So after a difficult start, the newly promoted club have now gone six games without defeat. 
They've won three of those and they're up to 10th in the table. Quite quite the rise for, for quite a small club. Yeah, their, um, their promotion last uh, season was highly emotional. The, you saw how much it meant to the club. They're a, a small team in comparison to your likes of your PSG, your Leon, your Monaco's. They are, and it's quite a fairy tale story for them. They just keep rising and rising and rising, and it's it's a really feel good story. They they're not going to be challenging for a European place this season, but I don't think they were planning to. I think you told um, Dion Young's fans, "Oh, you'll be mid table after fourteen games." They'd, they'd bite like, your arm off. Yeah, they'd be like, "Thanks, bye." Um, yeah, and obviously they got promoted last year in quite dramatic circumstances. Yeah, uh, it was a last re- final day they were in sixth position or something yes. along those lines. Yeah, it was something that was a, a mad scramble for that final promotion spot, and they managed to snatch it right at the death. So yeah. from being that close to not even being in league and to being, now being one of the forces within the league, it's yeah, an incredible story. Table. Yeah, so uh, I think and the, to get a uh, they say a tuna win against Mets, Mets really really struggling this season. They're down on uh, four points. So it's... Mets seem to be struggling, whilst Omions, who many people would have thought would have been the team that struggled, are not. So there's no big games this week in Liga. And, um, I mean, the standout tie for me is that Leon lille game. You've got one team that's scoring goals for fun, really challenging at the top of the division, playing against a team that is really struggling down at the bottom of the league and is not cut adrift, but is in that kind of pool of teams which are you know, scrambling to stay above the water. Yeah, so we look at Mets who are so far down. Then after adrift. that, you've, Very you've, much got, adrift. you've got six points from 19th to 9th. So that is a really, really small gap. Lille for themselves in that 19th position at the moment. Lyon, you can't see any more of them compiling more misery onto that. But the relegation battle is looking really, really interesting in France. And there's some big, big games coming up to decide it. Yep, so obviously Nice and Lille are two big teams who are in that kind of bottom pack and it will be interesting, interesting to see how that kind of develops as the season goes on. Yeah, they just need a, a small... Any team in that group, though, a small run could change their season entirely and you could see a, within two or three weeks the entire picture of the French League down the bottom half could look very different. And finally, we wrap things up looking at the Champions League and the Europa League. Match day five has come and gone. And we've got three more teams have qualified. Barcelona, Chelsea and Real Madrid. Joined Bayern Munich, Besiktas, Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain and Tottenham Hotspurs in the pot for the next round. Uh, any surprises that those three teams got through? I don't think there's any surprise that those three teams have qualified. Um, I would say that the biggest shock of all of those would be that Spurs obviously have won their group after they were drawn into what you would say is this year's group of death with Madrid and Dortmund. I think most people would have said before the start of game week one that you'd expect Madrid and Dortmund to probably qualify from that group. Um, And obviously with Dortmund's poor form in the Bundesliga transitioning over to the Champions League, they've only accumulated two points and that was a two draws against Apoel Nicosia who sit bottom of the group also with two points yeah uh, we do now after five games have two groups already done and dusted in terms of the top two uh, group B and group H PSG and Bayern Tottenham and Real Madrid so all that's left to fight for there is um, Europa League spots Dortmund they've got away Real Madrid and they're level on points with Apoel I mean Apoel do have away Spurs but 
there's a risk there that they're not even going to get in the Europa League. Um, yeah, you need quite a big goal difference swing, but on head-to-head records, obviously they're tied, so it'll come down to goal difference. You'd imagine that as long as Spurs pick up points, that Dortmund may well qualify, but it is a possibility that they won't. Yeah, but you you could possibly see that Spurs already qualified, already top. They're struggling in the league. They might rest some players, and I mean they're still a far better side than Apple. But Apple have caused shocks in the past, and if Dortmund lose away Real Madrid, Apple have just got to get a point, just one point, and that would see Dortmund finishing bottom of a group that many saw them at the start of the season qualifying from. The other big team out is Monaco. Uh, we talked about them earlier in France. They're third in their league, but bottom of Group G uh, after a defeat to Leipzig at home. And we go into a big final game week in that group as well. Porto and Leipzig both tied on seven points. That that'll be a really interesting. It'll be interesting to see who comes out second best in that league. Obviously, that group with Besiktas already qualified. Yeah, Besiktas already top on eleven points. Um, Porto and Leipzig. Either of those teams worthy of a place in round sixteen. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which of those teams can uh, get through. Talking about uh, saving themselves, just about Basel, the shock of the week. They beat Manchester United 1-0, Lang scoring late on. A shocking result, and it means Basel still could qualify. Yeah, I think that's more Manchester United being a bit complacent. I think they had it all sewn up. They dominated the first half of the game and really should have been ahead by several goals. Um, They really shut up shop in the second half and kind of played for the draw just just to get that top spot. Uh, And it seemingly backfired against them. Um, You're now left with Basel and Moscow fighting out for that final position. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I agree. They definitely got complacent because they know that despite losing and despite on the maths, they could have gone out had Basel got a bigger result. Unfortunately, 1-0 means that no matter what, they will finish above Basel um, head-to-head. So United yeah, got complacent, but it does give Basel that chance. Level on points, uh, Basel uh, play Benfica, whilst United and Moscow clash uh, at Old Trafford. Basel, yeah, they looked like they were going out, and by the skin of their teeth, they might be scraping their way into the next round. It's in their it's in their hands, which is yeah. the most important thing. If yeah. they if they beat Benfica in their final game week, they'll they'll qualify. Yeah, they win the head to head against uh, CSKA. So if they just match the result at Old Trafford, they will go through. Uh, and finally, talk about teams hanging on for dear life. After uh, Atletico Madrid save themselves, beating Roma, meaning that going into the last game. Uh, there's just two points between the sides. The bad news for Atletico, it's away Chelsea. Yeah, uh, Roma against Carabag, you'd imagine that Roma are going to pick the three points up there. So it's more than likely that Madrid are going to drop out. Um, they will, however, go into the Europa League. Uh, the quality of the teams that are falling out of the Champions League this year is quite astounding. So you're looking at a Europa League competition that is going to be full of big teams. I mean, it's already full of big teams. Yeah, it's already a team uh, competition that's got Arsenal, AC Milan, Lyon. Yeah. And now you've got uh, Atletico Madrid, uh, you've got possibly. possibly Dortmund, possibly Napoli, possibly one well one of Leipzig or Porto. There are a lot of good teams. Juventus could still possibly fall. Yeah, obviously that's based on Lisbon winning, I believe, away at Barcelona. Yes. Or, I think they've yeah, got a tough tie. It's, 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 it's Lisbon of, have got Barcelona. Um, Juventus have away at uh, Olympiacos, yeah. which is a, a tough ground to go to. Olympiacos have struggled in Champions League yeah. this year, but yeah. So, but there's still possibly even even if it is Lisbon that drop into the Europa League again, that's another top side dropping into that competition. Uh, and on the lines of the Europa League, that also match day five has just gone. Uh, Leon and Atalanta 
are through. That's that group wrapped up. Um, they're just going to go into the last game uh, against one another, fighting for top spot. They are both on 11 points. A goal separates them. So Atalanta at home to Lyon. Atalanta's form in Serie A has been poor. Their form in the Europa League has been very good. Um, but Lyon away from home this season we, we have, talked been, about it earlier. They have been, been very hot. Last three away games, 15 goals. So uh, you'd probably put your money on maybe Lyon taking that, especially having won three on the bounce in Europa League as well. Yeah, that's... All signs point, pointing towards a, a Lyon top in that group. Yeah, um, from one France side uh, dominating their league and qualifying, to no surprise... Uh, a French team struggling but still qualifying. Nice have got out of their group. They sit in uh, 16th in the French League but have managed to get out of their group. Surprising, really. You see very different contrasts. Like we talked about uh, with Napoli, who are dominating their league and struggling in the Champions League. Nice are doing the opposite, struggling in the league but have got through in the Europa League. They finished second behind Lazio, um, beating uh, Zolte and Vitesse. Are you surprised that there's such a stark contrast in form? Yes and no. I mean, Nice haven't exactly been setting the world on fire in the Europa League. They've been fairly average, but they've done the job. They've qualified. I think that's the most important thing for them. However, it is one of those things where you see Nice in the Europa League and you're thinking, is that becoming a distraction and is that making them suffer in the in the French division? They've got the players and they've got a good squad, but in, in the French League, they've been very, very poor and that hasn't really... You can look at Europa League and you say, OK, they're, they're playing better, but that isn't carrying across. And it, is it now becoming a hindrance? Is that Thursday, Sunday schedule starting to impact them? Yeah. And um, we talked about Basel being the big shock in the Champions League in the Europa League. Cologne get their first win in all competitions. And it hurts me to say this. They beat Arsenal 1-0 in Germany. A penalty in the 62nd minute, tucked away, and there they are. Finally on the board, finally up and running, and they've saved themselves. They are now within within reach of qualifying from their group. Yeah, uh, deserved victory as well. I think it was a poor performance from Arsenal. Yeah, it um, was. I think the team that they put out was very... I mean, if you saw the team sheet, everyone was a bit it was, non-plus. We were, it was heavily underwhelming. I think because Arsenal went into the game having qualified and all but guaranteed top spot, and with results, um, with Belgrade and uh, Barca drawing... Uh, it did mean Arsenal did top the group regardless of defeat. Cologne now on six points. They are on a uh, level with uh, Red Star Belgrade. Cologne will now go to Belgrade knowing that victory would see them qualify. That's going to be another entertaining game. Yeah, big matchup. Um, winner takes all tie. Both teams haven't been particularly brilliant, but have been solid. Um, all you would say is Belgrade have struggled to score goals. Cologne maybe not struggling to score goals, but struggling to keep them out of the other end. Yeah. Their league form is very, very poor. You will probably see them prioritise this fixture over the league at the moment, which is quite interesting because obviously they're very much cut adrift at the moment in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Um, I think the interesting thing is it's not quite a count up um, Barte, though. There is a chance if that game ends in a draw and Barte pull off the biggest shock of the Europa League so far and win away at Arsenal, Barte would actually leapfrog both teams. Whilst that does seem highly unlikely on paper, this is still football and anything could happen. Uh, so it's going to be interesting going into the last week of Europa League action and Champions League action, all to fight for, some teams still to qualify. The big fight is really on. That's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for listening and find us on SoundCloud and all the usual podcast places. Tweet us your thoughts and feedback at RepsAdShiner, BenJohnson93 and LylasH96 using the hashtag European Treble. And we'll be back next week with all the latest from the world of European football. 